This is the Front Page Podcast from the Red and Black. I'm Midori Jenkins. This week, we will discuss our February 11th issue. First, we will be speaking with Martina Essert, Assistant Culture Editor, about the Lunar New Year. Then, Lily Kirsch, Newsletter Editor and Contributor to the Culture Desk, talks about her feature on Gwendolyn Payton. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Martina, welcome back to the front page, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me a little bit about the Lunar New Year. So first, what is and when is Lunar New Year, and why is it celebrated in many Asian nations? What is the significance of this holiday? Yeah, the Lunar New Year is a time that celebrates the beginning of a new lunar cycle. Um, So there are a lot of different Asian festivals that fall under the name of the Lunar New Year. Um, That includes like Tet in Vietnam and the Chinese Spring Festival and Solal in Korea. Um, Those are all Lunar New Year celebrations. And the Lunar New Year in Asian countries um, usually falls on the first new moon after the um, winter solstice. So, and it lasts until the first full moon um, after that new moon. So it usually lasts over about 15 or 16 days. Um, In China, the first, like the first new moon is New Year's Day. And then the last day of celebration is their lantern festival. Um, and really, it's a time to just honor their culture and spend time with family. A lot of my sources said that in their cultures, this is like the only time of year and the only festival that they really get to see their family. So that is the main, um, like the focal point of this holiday. Um, and a lot of the traditions focus on spending time with family and like gaining wisdom from ancestors and from elders. Um, So family and community and just celebrating culture through like music and food and mythology is really the big parts of the Lunar New Year. In your article, you wrote about how Lunar New Year is celebrated differently in various cultures. It's celebrated across many Asian natures. And you talked to a few students about how they celebrated this holiday. So can you give some insight about these differences? For example, the difference between the Chinese Spring Festival and the Lunar New Year in the Philippines. Absolutely. So um, celebrations vary like even across households and definitely vary across cultures. Um, I know some of my sources um, celebrated like in really big and extravagant ways, like with their extended families um, over the course of many days, others celebrated just for one day in a really like like small family environment, just with their siblings and parents. Um, and in China specifically, they seem to focus more on like, Chinese mythology and the Chinese zodiac. So according to that, which is really commonly associated with the Lunar New Year, um, 2022 is the year of the tiger. So that really, for all of my Chinese sources, they really emphasize like the importance of that zodiac sign and the symbolic nature of the tiger. So they expect 2022 to be like a year of bravery and strength and like the vanquishing of evil. 
So that was a really interesting perspective. Whereas for some of my other sources, it was more of a time just to like eat with family or to, you know, talk to their grandparents. A lot of people said like, this is the day in our culture where we like FaceTime our grandparents and all of our like aunts and aunts and uncles who we've never met. Um, So it just varies like across households, um, depending on like the foods they eat or the traditions that they partake in. That's super interesting. And kind of shifting to a local perspective, how did businesses in Athens like Tai Chi, Bubble Tea, and Bubble Cafe celebrate this occasion? Yeah, definitely. I know that Bubble Cafe handed out um, Lucky Red envelopes to customers on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So that was January 31st and February 1st. and Tai Chi, I don't believe, had any, like, formal celebrations. I did speak with one of their employees, um, but a lot of their employees also did celebrate. And I know that Fuchs Foods had a big role to play as an Asian grocer um, in our local community. I talked with Karen Fuchs, and she said that she spent a lot of time, like, finding ingredients and finding the foods that really make this holiday what it is. Um, so, yeah, that was a really interesting perspective to, like, learn about the different roles that local businesses play in helping our local community celebrate this holiday. Yeah, and this weekend on February 5th, the Asian American Student Association commemorated the Lunar New Year with their annual event, Lunars. So what was the event theme and kind of what was the energy at this event? Yeah, so uh, this is my second year covering Lunars. Last year, I covered the drive-in showcase that they had, but they were able to return for their 30th anniversary of the Asian American Student Association um, to an, an in-person format, which was really incredible. Um, I have never seen a more like diverse and beautiful crowd than I saw last night. It was incredible to witness. Um, like There were people, everyone was dressed beautifully, whether it was in like formal attire or like traditional Asian um, outfits. And the event was just really like, it was very diverse. It was very celebratory. Like everyone was excited. Everyone was like finding their little like communities within the big um, Tate Grand Hall. And it was really incredible. The performances were great. Um, The theme was loyal, brave and true, which ties into the Year of the Tiger and also is a reference to a song from the new adaptation of Mulan. Um, and then some of the event directors also said, like, for decor, they sort of um, drew, in, like, aesthetic inspiration from Crazy Rich Asians, which I could definitely see. It was very, like, glamorous and refined, and, like, there were tigers everywhere. It was a really beautiful event. Can you talk a little bit more about the stage performances this year as well? Yeah, absolutely. So there was one returning, um, well, maybe more than one, but I know that Enoch Lee directed a short film um, for Lunars last year when it was a drive-in showcase. And he returned this year as like a recent graduate of UGA um, to premiere a skit, like a musical skit that he had written and directed um and the entire cast was UGA students that was like the main focal point of the performances um the skit acts were like 
interspersed between other things like they had Bibimbap dance group um, performing dances at the end and they had other dance groups. They had like a Chinese ribbon dance group. Um, they had a lot of people performing like traditional music and traditional dances. Um, and then they also had a fashion show at the end where a bunch of people wearing like their traditional cultural outfits and um they all came to the stage and just like walked and we got to see like the crazy amount of diversity that we have just within our Asian community here at UGA. That's amazing. So lastly, what does the Lunar New Year mean to students and how has this holiday just really come to unite communities, especially throughout the pandemic? Yeah, it's a really unprecedented time right now. Um, for a lot of students because of the pandemic and even for local businesses. Um, I know a lot of the people that I spoke to, like this holiday centers around family and around spending time with your elders and your parents. Um, and for a lot of people that just wasn't a possibility this year or in years past because of COVID. Um, and that was really hard. A lot of people I spoke to like when I brought that up, I could feel like the mood shift from like remembering really beautiful memories to like being sad that they're missing out on the current potential for like fun celebrations with family. Um, and a lot of people who have ha like are used to more big extravagant celebrations aren't able to participate and they've been sort of forced into that like insular family setting. Um, so it definitely has had a huge impact on celebrations um, and on the ability to just celebrate family. Now we will speak with Lily Kirsch, newsletter editor and contributor to the Culture Desk about her feature on Gwendolyn Payton. Lily, welcome back to the front page and thank you for discussing your feature with me. First, please give our listeners a brief overview of Gwendolyn Payton's story. Yeah, so Gwendolyn Payton is a local artist who uh, 50 years ago was meant to graduate from Mercer University with um, two degrees, one in biology and one in art. And she graduated with her degree in biology, but she was not able to graduate with the art degree. Um, she was supposed to have a senior exhibit um, to get the degree, uh, to kind of like finish up her coursework. But uh, the department found her artwork too racially controversial to display in the exhibit. So because of that, she wasn't able to have the exhibit and um, she did not get that degree. Then 50 years later, she um, was in the Atlanta airport at midnight and randomly was uh, waiting for the train and she randomly ran into um, a professor um, from Mercer University, and uh, Gwendolyn got to talking about her situation with the professor, and um, she, the professor was able to help Gwendolyn uh, get her transcript reviewed after 50 years, um, and it was confirmed that she had completed the coursework, um, so they granted her degree, and she, grad she walked across the stage and graduated with her art degree um, with the class of 2021, um, at the age of 70 years old. So, um, yeah. And then her senior exhibit, um, was put up after 50 years, um, at Mercer and now here in Athens at the Linden House, um, Art Center. 
Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about her. That is a pretty amazing story. Um, besides not being able to receive her degree, her degree, what other hardships did Peyton express about her experience while attending Mercer? Yeah, she told me a lot about how students treated her and how uh, faculty treated her. Um, things like a history professor um, who misrepresented um, African-Americans in his history textbooks and how she confronted him and um, tried to petition to change that. And she also mentioned um, coming to Athens with her husband, who was um, the first African-American to open a private pediatric practice um, in Athens. Uh, her, She and her husband um, came to Athens and she wanted to join the tennis team, but um, they travel to country clubs, um, or they did when she wanted to join. And um, the country clubs did were not integrated. So she would not be able to play on the tennis courts when they went to country clubs. So she um, decided to join anyway and said, you know, she would deal with it when she got there. And sure enough, um, they went to a country club. The coach of the country club said, no, you can't play on the court. Um, We don't allow black tennis players on the court. Um, And her coach, you know, said, well, then we'll take that as a forfeit and um, we will just will take it that you're forfeiting the game. So Gwendolyn, um, so the country club team decided that they would allow her to play um, in order to not forfeit the game. So she also integrated local tennis. And um, yeah, she has worked through hardships her whole life. Um, She told me about how recently her husband passed away Um, and her mother passed away um, in the past year and how that was very difficult for her in her, um, um, in her journey. Those were very important people in her life. Um, So yeah, she's overcome a lot. What was Peyton's reaction to finally being able to receive her degree in May? That's an amazing accomplishment, right? Yeah. She told me about how um, she was incredibly nervous when she was at the graduation ceremony. She told me she was shaking and hyperventilating and just like trembling, so nervous um, to walk across the stage and finally get her degree. When she um, finally had, you know, walked across the stage and gotten her diploma, she said she felt like a weight had been lifted off of her and that she felt free and that for all these years, she hadn't realized what a weight it was to have not rightfully received the degree that she earned 50 years ago. That's awesome. So lastly, um, Gwendolyn Payton's exhibit is now here in Athens. And so kind of what does this represent for her and what does it mean for the Athens community as well? Yeah, I think for Gwendolyn Payton, this exhibit means um, it's kind of a full circle moment for her because um, she raised her family in Athens um, after graduating from Mercer, her and her husband Um, eventually found their way to Athens, which is where they started their family. So I know for her, she told me how to bring that artwork back here, um, especially after the death of her husband, um, was incredibly important. And she wants to honor him with this exhibit here at the Linden House. Um, And then for Athens, I think um, this exhibit is just a reminder about how recently, um, you know, Black people face these kinds of challenges, especially in the education system. Um, And uh, the Linden House hosted a gallery talk um, with 
Gwendolyn Payton to talk with the community about her artwork and about its significance. And I think a lot of attendees at the gallery talk, you know, were able to learn about um, the kind of challenges she faced about the reality of um, how integration played out in the 60s um, here in Georgia. This has been The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. You can find the stories discussed in this episode in the paper edition or on redandblack.com. Make sure to download our app, keep up with us on social media, and check out our new health podcast, The Athens Frontline, hosted by health editor Simran Kaur Mahotra. We hope to see you next week.